Please turn your Bibles to Acts 4. Acts chapter 4. Um, keep it open. And once again, to all who invited friends to single and content, well done. Some of the questions people were asking, and I was like, hey, Charlie. <laughs> I'm so glad that we took you to the University of Ghana campus where people are vibrantly in relationships. And if there is any way that we can serve them, then we will serve them in that way. So praise the Lord. Thanks to the team that consistently put these things together. It's actually happened to be, so far, my favorite um, event. I'm not sure why. I'm yet to figure it out. Maybe because we were with the students, there's something fun about being with university students. Let's pray. Father, as we have sung, speak, our King. Please speak. Let us hear your word. And let the power of your word bring transformation into our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, thank you very much. Now, it's a question for you. Do you really want, as an individual, to experience the work of the Holy Spirit? Do we, as a church, want to experience the incredible work of the Holy Spirit. How do we even know that the Holy Spirit is mightily at work among us? Of course, we know that various spirits are at work in the world. Is that not the case? In fact, even in Jesus' day, they knew that. They knew that when it came to healing and so on and so forth, sometimes there could be spirits that are not of God and can do things. So they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. So somehow there is this understanding, and it is true that things can happen that are not necessarily of the Holy Spirit. Now, for those of you who are from this part of the world, you know that things happen. When I was growing up in um, beautiful Bubiashi, which is like how many minutes drive from here? Anytime somebody died, it was like for us a spectacle as children. We would come and stand in front of our houses by the roadside, and they would carry the, the, the caskets, and they would sing, and the fetish priest would go ahead of it, and all kinds of weird stuff would happen. Sometimes, I don't know whether. They were faking it, but anyway. The coffin, they said, would refuse to go to the cemetery. And so they would just go round and round and round and do all kinds of gymnastics before the coffin would go. But there are other ones that were even weirder. Um, so I consider myself an honorary gun because I was born in Accra. And we have the Homo Festival. And sometimes, uh, preceding that, there is this ritual, there is this celebration 
where we call it aquilisuma or something like that. You carry the thing. They carry the thing. Some incantations are done. And an innocent girl, calm girl who was around the neighbor who would carry this. And all of a sudden, there was this thing like a possession. And crazy things happened. So we understand that it is not anything, everything that's spiritual, even if it is healing. After all, our people will go to some places in order to obtain powers for healing. So if we are calling for the Holy Spirit to, we want to see the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Ultimately, how do we determine it? How do we see it? How can we say for sure, whatever happens, whatever the marble jumble, whatever the commotion, sometimes the Spirit surprises us. You can't always control the move of the Spirit. You can't control it. But how can we be at peace in ourselves that this for sure is the move of the Spirit? Ultimately, what does the Spirit want to do in our midst and in the world? So, you know, Acts 4 obviously follows Acts 3. And what have we seen in Acts 3? We have seen that Peter, as we heard last week, Peter was going into the temple. Peter and John, it was 3 p.m. in the afternoon. They were Jewish Christians. They still want to do traditionally what has been instructed them. After all, it was for prayer. So they would go and pray. Hopefully they will pray differently. And I'm sure they pray differently. But they will go in and pray. And then they were entering the temple through the beautiful gates. That big gate. And when they got there, a 40-year-old man who has been lame from birth. So he's never walked. His feet, the under of his feet, have never really by themselves touched the ground. He's never walked. And people will go in and he will ask for money and then get something. And Peter and John, as they were chatting together, these two dear brothers, they were about to enter and they spot the lame man. The lame man spots them. They look at him. He looks at them and he was expecting that they would give him something. And you remember, they declared to him, Peter, the lead speaker says, Silver and gold, if you are expecting that from us, we do not have. And when Peter says he does not have, he wasn't lying. There was no money in his pocket. But what we have in us, we give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And then Peter lovingly grabs his hand and then helps him up. And then he walks. He walks and he follows them into the temple. Immediately, people recognize him. People say that he's the one who has been sitting at the gates. Is that not the guy? How come he is walking and leaping and jumping and praising God? And so Peter takes the opportunity as we heard and he begins to explain to them the healing. The healing was real. The healing of a lame person was the healing of a lame person. He was walking. God is such a compassionate God. Yet there is a bigger vision. And the healing was a means to an end. 
The end was seen in Peter's sermon. He begins to explain these things that are going on and the fact that the healing was pointing to something. And so he summarizes his sermon. He summarizes in chapter 3, verse 26. He says, God, having raised his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So the servant he's talking about, you remember, is the Isaiah servant. He's using that term, the servant of the Lord. Isaiah 53, for example, the one who took on his people's predicament upon himself that they might be set free. And then the summary is there again, chapter 4, verse 2. Greatly anoint. You see, this is how they understood these religious leaders who came around. Greatly anoint because they were greatly anoint at Peter and John. Why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And you know that the Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection. Uh, when you die, you don't come back to life. And so to preach and say that people will be raised from the dead was like, no, 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 no. But Peter's sermon, what they heard was that they were teaching that in Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. And Peter, they were in line because he said, God, having raised his servant Jesus, sent him first. He has raised him. There is a resurrection of the dead. And the healing of the lame man, if you think the healing of the lame man is spectacular, you haven't seen anything yet. There is a resurrection of dead people. Wo Christo mono wono mo awe wumpo. There is a resurrection of the dead. You are amazed about feet that hasn't walked for 40 years. Wait and see people who are spiritually dead and physically dead and have been rotting and have gone. If they are in Jesus, they will be raised back to life. And that was a semi-powerful message he was preaching. There is resurrection of the dead for all who are in Jesus. Christo muno obi wua. Na ensaye. Na onyiraye. Na onseye. Se Christo sanbe biye mua. Sani pa krono. E radinyan kopo namun kron kron tumi so. Ebe pejanefriye wufu mu. There is resurrection for all who have died in Christ. If you know anybody, a Christian, who has passed away, a Christian, they will be raised from the dead on Christ's return. Why? Because their Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead. That is what Peter was preaching. And Peter is saying, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we, his followers, these things are happening, not an end in themselves. They are pointers to what is about to happen. They are real, but we don't settle there. 
So if that is the case, how do you actually receive it? How do you receive this resurrection from the dead? And Peter's sermon, the way the the narration goes, how Luke records it tells us in verse 4. Now the authorities had come, they have disrupted because they heard it. They have disrupted, hey, what are you talking about? Stop talking, stop talking. And they arrested them. (laughs) But something really funny, the harm had already been caused, if it was a harm. But many of those who had heard the word had already believed. And the number of the men, number of the people came to 5,000. Now, 3,000 had been added at Pentecost. Now, we are told that the number had grown to 5,000 because they had heard the message of the resurrection. So, how do you receive it? It is hearing and believing. But many of those who had heard the word believed. It is hearing and placing your faith, faith in Jesus, the Jesus of the word. There is resurrection of the dead. And in fact, not only on the last day, right now, if I am not a Christian, if anybody is not a Christian, and the person believes that in Jesus I can be forgiven and life is not hopeless, there is hope for life, not only in this life, but in the one to come. Right now, immediately, you experience the resurrection power. And the way the resurrection power works in us is that day by day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being renewed. We are conforming to the image of Christ. And one day when Jesus appears, we will become like him. The resurrection power would have completed its work. We would have been transformed, raised to a new life. And that is how a person receives it. But here's the interesting thing. I'm not going to focus so much on the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the accusation and so on. There's so much that can be said. But I want us to look at a certain line, what the Holy Spirit does here. What the Holy Spirit does is what I've already described now. In Jesus, there's resurrection. There is new life for all who believe. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. That people might hear, people might believe, people might experience the power of God. The power of the gospel. And so when they were arrested, they were asked a question. Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst at the council, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Oh, you have healed a lame person. You are proclaiming the resurrection of the dead. By what power and by what name did you do this? And then listen to what, how Peter is described. You know, Luke could have gone ahead to say that, and Peter responded this way. But look at verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Luke turns our attention that it is Peter. But ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit who is working at this point. So the Holy Spirit hasn't set aside Peter. Peter is still Peter. And you know, Peter is in some ways loud mouth. He will talk. No wonder the Holy Spirit uses that temperament. 
And so John is there. I don't know what John's temperament will be like. Maybe this tender, compassionate guy, you know, gentle. Um, but then Peter speaks anyway. But as he speaks, we are told that Peter, when the Holy Spirit had filled him, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit taking over control of Peter's reasoning. He was reasoning. He was speaking. He's going to argue. But later, the people are going to discover something, that this is not an educated man. The two of them are unschooled, but they have been with Jesus. Anyway, uh, let's come back to this point. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, what happened? What happened when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit? Peter speaks. And what did he say? Rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the name of Jesus, the Messiah, who came from Nazareth. That's what he's saying. He is making it so clear that they know. They know where Nazareth is. In fact, they knew that Jesus, they crucified him. So he says that, let it be known that this is not by any foul means. It is by the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the long-awaited King who has come who came out of Nazareth, whom you crucified, you killed, because you are sinful, but whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, he continues, is the stone that, the, 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 that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, Peter could have said that in responding to the question, by what power? We did this by the power of the Holy Spirit. But God, the Holy Spirit, takes over. And what does he do? He enables Peter to explain Jesus. There is something about the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of everybody. How can you really be settled in your heart and be sure and not be nervous if the spirit is moving in the midst, in moving in your own life, there is one thing that will happen. He will always lead you to Jesus. He will always give you a better clarity of Jesus, a deeper love for Jesus, a better understanding of Jesus, and your whole life is absorbed by God's work in and through Jesus in the power of the Spirit. You cherish the cross better. You rejoice in the resurrection more. You look to him that the Spirit will conform you to Jesus. The Spirit fills Peter. Peter opens his mouth and he talks about Jesus. The Spirit's work. He chooses. And this is the, the incredible thing about God. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everyone trying to glorify each other within this one God. The Holy Spirit's work is to elevate Christ. 
And in elevating Christ by his power, people see God's work in Christ. People are attracted in Christ. People now are reconciled to God. God gains the glory. The Father is glorified. Anyway, that is what we see here happening. Let's, let's look at them again. Verse 10. Please look at verse 10. Or oh, project it there, please. Let it, be no, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this has been done. Verse 11. Verse 11. This Jesus, this Jesus is a stone that was rejected. Everything that God has accomplished for us has been accomplished for us in Jesus. You know, when he talks about the stone that has been rejected, the cornerstone, he's referring to Psalm 118. Just a few verses in Psalm 118. And then you will see exactly what he's been saying. Let me read a few verses for you. Psalm 118. All right. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 118. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. There is refuge in the Lord, right? That's what he's talking about. There is refuge. Refuge is... Where I grew up. And he will be chasing you with a stick to beat you. To your straight into your mother's room. Your mother's room, baby, is the place of refuge. Then you are safe. Refuge. So for those who don't understand tree that I struggled with, all that I'm, I was saying is this. When we were children, if somebody wanted to attack you in the neighborhood, you run as fast as you could. And guess where you went? You went straight into your mother's arm or your mother's room. That was the place of refuge. He's saying here in Psalm 118, and we'll see what he's saying in Acts. Verse 8 the Lord, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Verse 10, all nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. It is in the name of the Lord that anyone would have victory. Verse 11, they surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Verse 13, I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is our help. It is in the Lord that we obtain help. Verse 17. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Life. Life is from the Lord's hands. Right? He is our refuge. Verse 18. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but has not given me over. So part of, part of having the Lord as our refuge is his discipline. To, to chop up all the nonsense from our lives. And then he comes to Psalm 118 verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
And Peter takes that and he says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everything that Psalm 118 is about is found in Jesus. That's what he's saying. And so anything that you can imagine when it comes to salvation, and by salvation, I don't just mean raising your hand to receive Christ. Raising your hand to receive Christ, any other thing that follows in your transformation, and when he appears and we become like him, that is salvation. All these things, including the Lord's discipline, is found in Jesus. Peter is saying that Jesus is that person. They have all these things in Jesus. Verse 13. Everything is pointing to Jesus. Verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the Spirit is still working here and everything is pointing to Jesus. God's work in and through the Messiah Jesus. So the question is this, and please look at me for a moment as I'm about to finish. If we as a church, I know that sometimes there is a temptation. There is always a temptation, even when the Spirit is moving so mightily among us. Because somehow we have an expectation of how we want to see the Spirit move. We want to see the Spirit move. Rather than the other way around, Lord, how are you moving? Open our eyes to see it. And so we grow into points of dissatisfaction and discontent. So we are constantly discontent, discontented. <laughs> I'm watching you. <laughs> the way he teases me is when anytime I make a mistake with my English language, he doesn't say anything, he just laughs. <laughs> There is that temptation. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Let's ask ourselves this question. Are we a church community that are growing deeper, deeper, deeper in our vision of Jesus and our love for Jesus and our boldness in proclaiming him and demonstrating him to the world around us? Well, perhaps the Holy Spirit is moving mightily among us. Last week I said that more than anybody, when a member of this church is unwell, I get disheartened and pray desperately and call on others to pray desperately that they should be healed. But more than that, more than that, I prayed for some people in the past together with others. They were healed. Later, they died. They grew old and died. I think the ultimate thing that I was looking for was to pray that they will never die and they, then they stay alive. So always the Lord reminds us that whatever he does in our midst, we should enjoy it, but we should remember that that is not the end. We're not home yet. The ultimate is yet to come. And so these things he may choose to do in our midst, and we pray that he does it. He does it and touch people and heal people and raise people and comfort people and all the other things that the Holy Spirit in our midst will give us. They are all glimpses. But here is the thing we shouldn't miss as a church. If our love for the Lord Jesus grows so dim and yet we are so interested in his gifts, 
if somehow we are not maturing and somehow we are so embarrassed and ashamed to talk about Jesus that we coward, we just hold back. We're not bold to speak of him with all gentleness and humility. The work of the Holy Spirit shouldn't be removed from Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants Jesus to be seen and known. If you have been praying that God should make you experience the power of the Spirit, he will not make you experience anything until he makes you experience love for Jesus. He changes you to become like Jesus. That is God the Holy Spirit. And as we journey through Acts, you will see it. That the Spirit makes a move. And then he says, look to Jesus. Because he knows that you won't even know the Holy Spirit better if you don't know Jesus. The Spirit of Christ. And so that is my appeal to us. As we journey and we crave for the outpouring of the gift of the Spirit. Let's not be too mesmerized. Mesmerized, I don't understand, but it's like you are too surprised, isn't it? That's what it means. Let's not be taken aback. There's a spiritual gift here and spiritual gift there. I want to see spiritual gifts. I lead this church. Who doesn't want to see that? Especially when you, as a pastor, you know that you don't have all the spiritual gifts. You want to see that in the midst. People serving in ways that you cannot serve. But alas, if these people serve and there is an outpouring supposedly of the spirit and spiritual gifts are being experienced and the people have grown so cold towards the Lord Jesus without even realizing it in that they enjoy so much his gifts, they don't really enjoy him and then they don't enjoy one another. There is something unchristlike about the community. Let's not conclude that because we are experiencing the gift of the Spirit, maybe, therefore, we have arrived. If there is something for us to rejoice in, let's rejoice from how much are we growing in our affection for God through Christ. That is what I believe the Lord wants us to hear this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we know that we are very prone to knowing and prescribing for God the Holy Spirit, the sovereign Lord Holy Spirit, sometimes ways that we expect him to move. When he's constantly moving and holding before us the Lord Jesus and says, if you want to enjoy me, the Holy Spirit, enjoy Jesus. See him. In him there is resurrection from the dead. In him there is refuge. In him there is the outpouring of all my gifts. It is by him and through him. Will you get to me? I lead you to him. He leads you to me and I lead you to him. We lead you to the Father and the Father leads you to the Son and the Son to the Spirit and the Spirit to the Father and the Son. Don't divide us as though we work independently. The Lord wants us to know, children of the living God, that more than anything, 
He wants to point us to Jesus. When the Spirit fills us, when my Spirit fills you, he says, I feel you so that you will love and know and give all and submit all and lay prostrate and honor and exalt my beloved Son, the Messiah, the King, the Lord Jesus. It is when you know him that you know me. Lord, soften our hearts towards Jesus. May the resurrection from the dead, spiritual deadness, that will translate into physical deadness, may that amaze us more than anything. Father, we thank you. Work this by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.